Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to Ooh, hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of the deciding point for all of you listeners, our weekly breakdown of all of the action that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, this week's show particularly special as we've reached the final week of the 2022 college tennis seasons. All of our remaining eight teams have now officially descended upon Champaign for the start of practices at the 2022 final NCAA site. Of course, just 30 minutes ago, we completed our show previewing the men's uh, quarterfinals live here on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You'll all be able to hear that podcast on the Great Shot podcast feed. Believe it will come out on Wednesday. But of course, that's just one half of the action. And this year, it's the men who begin our play in Champaign. They begin on Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time for the women. They're the Friday start. They're the ones who are going to have to play three days in a row this year. Those quarterfinals beginning Friday, I believe at 4 p.m. Might be incorrect. Have to check the start time there, but I believe I'm correct there. Give me a wink, Jay, if I am right on that note. Oh, I appreciate that fact. And then, of course, similar schedule just again as Thursday. Friday start, though, for those women's quarterfinal matches. Of course, as we've said all season, who's going to win the 2022 NCAA women's title? Your guess as good as ours. And, you know, much like the men. Things stuck to script during our Super Regional Sweet 16 round of play of the NCAA tournament. All eight of our top eight seeds advance to the quarterfinals as such. 
for three, the expectations moving forward here at the 2022 NCAA tournament. And of course, on today's show, what we want to do is help preview all of the remaining action here in the college tennis season. Of course, how will we do that? By recapping last weekend's super regional action. We'll talk about the teams who impressed the most offer our immediate eulogies for some of the teams whose season are now officially in the books. And then we'll get to previewing our four spectacular quarterfinal matches. We'll talk about the match calculus, talk about the inflection point matches, the most intriguing matchups, and so much more. It's another jam-packed podcast for all of you listeners here today and appreciate all of you who are joining us live for our episode here of The Deciding Point. It's been so fun to go at 9 p.m. Eastern time here just about every Tuesday of this college tennis season from Scotty B to the rest of the crew joining us. Appreciate all of you who have taken the time, and I said this at the start of our men's podcast sincerely. We would not be able to do these shows week in, week out. It just we wouldn't have the reception. We wouldn't be able to secure sponsors. We wouldn't be able to keep doing what we do without the amazing support and reception we've gotten from all of you in the college tennis universe, whether it be coaches, players, fans. We're so grateful for that fact here at Crack Racket. So again, on behalf of all of us, thank you for your continued uh, a bit of reasoning, your continued willingness to tune in to us here at Crack Rackets. Of course, with all that said, if it's a jam-packed podcast, you know I'm going to have some help to help me get through all of the information and joining us once again here on tonight's show as he has each and every week here on our episodes of The Deciding Point is a returning champion here on our Crack Rackets shows, your co-favorite writer for our website, crackrackets.com. And in that spirit, be on the lookout for his NCAA quarterfinal previews coming up over the next few days. A man you also know as the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog, our West Coast correspondent who's making the trip press credentialed now to Champagne. It's our friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Our mistake is now official. Our mistake is now official. Welcome to the crew. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Champagne in a couple of days. I'm excited. We've come a long way in a year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, we've been doing this now um, the entire college tennis season, which has been fantastic. Um, and it's only now in our final episode that I am finding out that I have been doing this with the college tennis mind of a generation, folks. <laughs> college tennis mind of a generation. It's been an honor. I didn't know until the end, but self-proclaimed, I should add. So, folks, if you're missing out and you're not listening to the Crack Interviews podcast, you get tidbits like that. Your very own mind of a college tennis generation. Well, that's good. Now you've proclaimed it as well. So it's no longer just self, um, you know, because <laughs> you didn't qualify that at first. No, I appreciate you saying that. I should have introduced you as the Robin to my Batman, given Mark Weaver's comments. That would have fit now. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, obviously, again, I'm thrilled and well-deserved press pass for you uh, at the NCAA tournament. I cannot wait for you to say, again, John Parsons, Crack Rackets. There will be at least one coach who goes, you're John Parsons, and will go, oh. And I just like, I cannot wait for that, oh, to, to just happen and be there in that moment. But again, our Crack Rackets coverage does not happen this season without you. And to those who may not be familiar it was probably 18 months ago, maybe, when I we were tweeting out, what are some of the things we can do better in college tennis moving forward? And something you said was, I would really appreciate if you guys would be able to increase your women's tennis coverage. We have really attempted to do that this season. And I, I 
need to be crystal clear. That would not have been possible without you, Jay, because your willingness to do this week in, week out with me to push back against me when I'm being an idiot. It just makes our coverage significantly better. And so hopefully we have lived up to my promise to you and improved and increased our coverage. But a massive thank you to you, my friend. I hope you know you're appreciated. I feel it. Okay, good. That's all I ever asked for. Well, again, with all of that said, we're going to get into our Sweet 16 takeaways. We're going to talk about our quarterfinal previews as well. Before we do any of that, got to give a shout out to the people who make these podcasts possible. Of course, those are our friends over at Swing Vision and Turna. And look, I mean, again, Swing Vision at the forefront of everything happening, artificial intelligence in the sport of tennis. Simply put, the days of the volunteer assistant, your jobs are going to get much easier. All you have to do is convince your coach to download the Swing Vision app. Then just don't teach them how to use it because with the Swing Vision app, it's going to break down all of your film for you. You're going to have the misses, the makes, where your players can improve various aspects of the film, all in the palm of your hand. And again, have access to thousands of players' data and to be have access to all the Swing Swing Vision content. Trust me, it's worth the investment. You can learn more about Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. Use the promo code CRACK20. You'll get a $20 discount plus a 14-day pro trial. Of course, a shout out to the OGs as well, our friends at Turna, not only supporting this podcast since the beginning, but of course, supporting tennis players everywhere with their Turna grip, but it's not just the grip folks of course with turner they've got string they've got so much more you can join the turner family today by contacting sales at uniquesports.com you mentioned we sent you the hook you up with free uh samples hook you up with discounted pricing treat you like family again we are so grateful for turner support the least we can do ask you to support them as well email them today by contacting sales at uniquesports.com with all of that said jay Let's get into our NCAA Sweet 16 recap. And again, it was a super regional format. That means the top eight seeds all hosted home matches this weekend. Let's start on the tennis side, because obviously I want your takeaways from the super regional Sweet 16 format. would love to hear your takeaways from our Sweet 16 press row as well. But I think the place I we have to start here, you know, they're not we, we talk about the wide open nature. We talk about the parity we've seen in women's college tennis all season long. Have we now reached the part of the season? Have we now reached the point where are Pepperdine and Texas now the favorites once again to capture the NCAA tournament? And I want to start with the Pepperdine waves. 4-0 victory over Miami. That match was over in two hours. That wasn't just a dominant 4-0 victory. That was a blowout. And you look for the Waves, who continue to thrive in particular places. 6-2 at the number two spot. Brodus and Chen have lost one match all season long. Then a 6-3 win from Fakuda and Pachkaleva. Again, you look for this Pepperdine team throughout the course of the season, even though it's been different pairings. They are 16-8 and at that number three spot. But perhaps most pressingly is once again for the Pepperdine Waves. Six first sets. Six first sets in singles. They didn't know how best to arrange the chess pieces coming into the NCAA tournament. And they're they're all season long, I should say. And they played around with those pieces all season long. But all of the chess pieces do seem to finally be in the right position. And I mean, Jay, the most dangerous possible thing, the thing we waxed poetically about in one of our more embarrassing preseason podcasts where we talked about (laughs) the upside of this Pepperdine team. We were a little early, but if this is the Pepperdine we see show up in Champagne, I know I don't want to put the card ahead of the horse, but aren't they the favorites? Like, this is it. This is the team. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. We do this 
all season long. And then you basically can throw out so much stuff that we learned in February and March and April. And here we are in May and Pepperdine finally is starting to look like that team. We thought they might be all season long and that's scary, right? They've doubles has been actually okay for them all season continues to look fine. And each of those six singles players are seemingly playing their best tennis this season, right? We've talked about Patrick Leva and Flores needing to round into form. Well, guess what? Like they look good. They're winning matches or they're up in their matches. Savannah Brodus is hardly losing games in some of these matches. I mean, wildly impressive. So, and Janice Chen as well, you know, she's ascended to that top spot. No problem. So it's tough to say, I mean, I think they're probably the favorite on form right now, but ultimately we're talking about three matches. Yeah. Probably don't want to get too excited, but I will say at prior to the NCAA tournament last year, they were in the conversation. They were not necessarily your one or two and they have a way to turn it on here at the end of the season. To your point about the draw perspective, UNC, Texas, whoever comes out of that other half, whoever the best team is, that's as tough as it gets. And guess what? They're the number eight seed. And that's what comes with the struggles and putting the chess pieces together all season long. But I was talking with Adam Schachterly. He says Savannah Brodus, he thinks she could win the NCAA singles tournament. That's how well she's playing right now. And to beat an Audrey Bach Collins, who was playing exceptional tennis for Miami, one and oh, a one and oh victory for the freshman. I mean, Brodus has won 10 in a row. She's 19 and five overall in the dual match season as a freshman to have her as five at five when she might be as good as Connie Ma and Yepafanova, you know, the best freshman in the country right up there with the Chantas and the Stakers and everyone. You feel good with Brodus at that five spot. To your point, Janice Chen now up to the number one spot. She's lost one dual match all season long, but she's up five and two on Richardson. Fakuda has refound her form one in one at the two spot and at the national indoors when this Pepperdine team struggled. The one position they didn't was Shiori Fakuda at one. Now you have her at two. She delivers a one in one win. Czar and Fenning was never going to finish. And all that, you know, again, that it went to a tie break was as scripted because Fenning was one Miami had to have. Czar takes that first set 7-6. That's the knife in the side. I mean, if Taya Pachkaleva is winning, it's just a win for this Pepperdine team. But that she won 6-0, just icing on top of the cake. You know, Flores is up a set even if she's down a break in the second. But at that point, it didn't matter because your team takes all six first sets This is the version of Pepperdine we hypothesized could exist. And we now, this is their best match. Like this is their best win of the season. And, you know, talking to pair on the cracked interviews podcast, I asked him, have you played your best match yet? He said, no, I don't think we have. I agreed with him. You know, that is the theory I, I propose, I postulated towards him. Uh, And he said, you know, and, you know, to his credit, he agreed. Well, this is it. And now they need to do it again. And much like last year, they need to do it at least three times because yeah. they did it today. They need to do it against UNC. They will probably have to do it in their semifinal and an NCAA final. Anything can happen. Yeah. But man, are they now like if it was a bite, you know, we joked about it. Have they fallen out of tier one? No longer. And to your point in on form alone, this team is playing as well as anyone right now. Yeah, absolutely. But they don't do themselves any favor with the draw, right? So we talk about like throwing out some of the form from earlier this season, but that 
dictates the draw, right? And it feels very similar to what we saw last season, right? Where Pepperdine had to go through UCLA, North Carolina, and then face a Texas team who had a much easier path to the final. It does feel like whoever comes out of this top half of the draw is really going to be bruised. Remember, the women have to go three straight days this year. Yeah. So look, um, this Pepperdine team on form can absolutely, absolutely do it. Uh, It's not going to be easy. Quickly on Miami. Everyone's back but Richardson, but don't worry. We bring in Alexa Noel. Holy crap, can this team be good next year? And like, would they have loved to have gone to the final site? Absolutely. This is a great experience for them. I mean, again, it sucks because the ACC, and we'll get to them, is the ACC better this year than it was last year? Maybe. Is it going to be the same next year? Probably. Um, But man, is this my, again, Miami just ran into a buzzsaw would be my final take on them. Um, We can get to them in a second more when we talk about the ACC. Uh, Let's move on to the other half of this equation, which is Texas. We said if Auburn's going to beat Texas, they have to take the doubles point. They were, you know, 19 and seven or something like that coming into the match in the doubles point or maybe 21 and seven. Uh, Ultimately for uh, Auburn, they do what they have to do. They take the doubles point. They get wins at the two and three position. But again, for this Texas team, they take five of six first sets and just uh, in a position to win on five of those six courts as well. Now, credit to Ariana Arsenault, who is as good of a number two singles player as any player in the country. And man, would Georgia have liked to have had her back this season with some of the things they went through down the home stretch. But I mean, again, if we four one score line sounds like a blowout, Auburn gave the effort they needed to give at the start of the match. That's just how good this Texas team was in singles. And, you know, they're playing as well as any team in the country. It's, it's like similar to Pepperdine where they can find six anywhere. Yep. Yeah. This Texas team right now, based on form, reminds me of Florida from last season where the only points they're losing are doubles. Yeah. The and then Florida they're men's team to Florida men. Yep, yeah. Yep. Exactly. And then they come out super hot in singles and they're not dropping a singles point. Yeah. Look, this team has had the a little more longevity in terms of how hot they've been than Pepperdine, right? We really saw to saw that come on in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, and they're 23 and 4 and who are the losses to? Oklahoma twice, Stanford and I'm forgetting one more. NC State. Yeah, and like okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and those that Stanford, NC State and the indoors, that Stanford's was Stanford's the only bad one where you're like that was weird. Yeah, that was at Stanford, but, you know, yeah. that was a while ago. No, too, not right? a bad loss, but I should say that's the only even like somewhat questionable one. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. Go on. No. And so where they are now, I think listening to Coach Joffe, it sounds like they've kind of gotten a lot of the pieces together. Right. And it sounds like he feels really strongly and confident in Shabbat Pond. We've talked about that being such an inflection point for them in terms of getting that fourth point uh, or number four, I should say. So they have a very clear calculus you know, doubles one, three, and four. And if they don't get doubles, it hasn't hurt them at all. So that'll be fascinating. But I mean, they're, they're dominating singles in ways that other teams are not. Vatapan may be 16, eight overall seven and two in her last 10, 13 and three. Now back at that number four spot. Stearns is one 14 in a row. And, you know, Zainalova 20 and one overall yep. in the season. And, you know, again, Collins isn't bad at 13 and six of Rutsky 12 and five. There's no weak point in their lineup. Now, 43 and 20 in doubles 
winning two, you know, 18 and three at the number two spot. They feel pretty good there. Obviously with how well Stearns is playing her and Zemaripa, you feel good about it. One, they're vulnerable in doubles, but they're so deep in singles. They're the sort of team that because of how good Stearns is at one, you feel like, okay, we're down a doubles point, but it's actually one all because we're up one Oh going into the match. And we feel like we can find three of the last five is the calculus for them. Um, Yeah. I mean, they're playing extraordinarily well. And again, I talked, and to your point about Coach Joffe on the Cracked Interviews podcast, didn't he sound confident? Didn't he sound pretty damn confident in how well his team, Shavatapan in particular, but I just feel like he thinks he sees it with this group. Yeah, he sounded more confident on this interview than he did last year. Yeah. Last year, there were a lot of unknown, five freshmen. He was very candid about, like, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Um, he seemed more confident, I would agree. And on the flip side, again, Auburn, just about everyone's back. I mean, Axon played extraordinary, you know, for Axon to lose the Shvatsban, but they got the doubles point and Axon gets the win there. What a great leader she was. Yuchen had a great season. Don't let this match cloud what was clearly a year of growth for Coach Lilly and the team. And boy, that Coach Lilly interview, one of my favorites, I'm sure. Uh, again, do you enjoy that one? I have to do it here, folks. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Talk about someone who's prepared for every I answer. Know. God, and doesn't even ready. doesn't even skip a beat. You know, like some people will have to really think about it. Didn't even have to skip a beat. No, look, I mean, this has been an incredible season for Auburn. Uh, they returned that top three, especially two and three, who won them a lot of matches this year. Look, there's no reason this Auburn team can't be- begin to be at the top of the SEC year in, year out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. With that in mind, let's move on to our next team, Oklahoma, who will be without Chanta for the remainder of the NCAA tournament. But shout out to her who gets the victory with Team Thailand over in the Southeast Asia Games. That said, in front of a ruckus Sooner crowd, Oklahoma 4-1 victory over Stanford. And in the end, we don't see Michaela Gordon in singles, but she did play doubles and it yep. didn't matter. 6-2 victory for Guzman and Staker at three. Then the 7-5 win for Sleeth and Pisareva at the number two spot. You look perhaps most impressively again for this Oklahoma team. They won five first sets in singles. And the one first set they didn't win is a point they're still going to feel pretty good about in Emma Staker, who drops a 5-0 and match to Sarah Choi. But, you know, after dropping that first set, it looked like the rest of her team had things under control. That said, massive victory for Guzman. Uh, for her to just get on the board over India Houghton. And then, you know, for the Corley sisters, Vonna Corley struggled outdoors throughout the course of the Big 12 season. And she gets a, uh, you know, a straight set win over an Angelica Blake who had lost fewer than five matches on the year. Oklahoma's a team who enjoyed the super regional format more than anything because, boy, did they have a home crowd advantage. But they made the most of it. And again, this team has just seen Everything that can be thrown at a team throughout the course of this year. They are the most calloused group entering this 2022 NCAA final tournament stretch. They're thriving. They look just fine, Jay. But yeah, they look more than fine. Um, I think Coach Cohen is the only top eight coach who prefers the Super Regional or said she prefers it on the women's side. Okay. Um, Take your word for it. uh, Yeah, I I I believe Coach Calvis said, ask me if we win. Okay. Well, okay. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's a punt. Um, but everyone else who went on the record. Um, so, I mean, and you totally saw why, right? I mean, the crowd was rowdy. It was loud. It was enthusiastic. It was engaged. Um, that was a really fun match. I thought, and what was most impressive for me was Ivana Corley one in doubles. They were down big at number one doubles. They stayed alive to keep the pressure on. 
she played lights out in singles. I mean, we talk a lot about serve plus one, or maybe you talk about serve plus one. Ivana Corley has the return plus one. I mean, she was teeing off on Angelica Blake's second serve, coming into net and putting away volleys. That was a pretty incredible showing from her, who, again, Blake has been playing excellent, also a sort of player who can take the racket out of your hand. Both the Corley sisters, I thought, really stepped up in this match against Stanford for for Carmen to get the win over Yepif Nova. Just, just really impressive. Um, look, I know it's tough to be without Shanta, but you're right. Um, they look great. No, what's the more impressive Corley victory, Epifanova or Blake? Like, it's tough to say. Again, they yeah. turned it on in this in, the, in front of this home crowd, and credit to Coach Cohen, who had this home crowd, again, rocking and rolling, creating the sort of environment you need when you're taking on a team as perennially successful as this Stanford group is. But, I mean, yeah, this Oklahoma team, again, they've still got the depth and that they earned the 4-1 victory and their loss was staker. Like, I think that's about, you know, again, if you're Coach Cohen in the group, yeah, you face the hottest team in the country in A&M who hasn't lost since February, and they've got experience as well. Oh, my God, is that match going to be good? And I promise we will get to previewing that match momentarily. Let's move on, though, with some of our takeaways. Let's talk about the ACC because, obviously, NC State advances, Duke advances, UNC advances to uh, our quarterfinal round. And don't worry, I didn't forget about Virginia, Jay. I just like to make sure you're awake here while I'm doing this. Half the quarterfinal field, half of it is ACC teams. You look last year, UNC, NC State, Duke, all into the quarterfinals. Am I missing one from the Florida group? State? Yeah, Florida. They made the quarterfinals as well. They You're did. right, beating Texas A&M. Back to back years, half of our quarterfinals are from the ACC. I swear to God, the conference was better this season. And again, you look at the matchups. Duke's the three seed against the, I mean, NC State versus Duke. You're guaranteed an ACC team into the semifinals once again. UNC Pepperdine. I don't know if there's a favorite. Virginia gets to that next step, gets to that quarterfinal with this group. And I mean, you know, we talk about Texas feeling like they're up 1-0. Well, guess what? They got to run against the Navarro train now. And like, oh, my God, I guess more broadly. And this is my question here. Miami obviously looked really good last weekend as well. There are ACC teams everywhere. or It looked good throughout the course of the season. There are ACC teams everywhere. I mean, was the conference better this season? Like, it really does feel like it was. This conference is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane. I mean, just look at the seeds. So like one, three, five, six. Um, I think the deservedly so deservedly. So yeah, absolutely. I think the difference this year is that there feels like there's more national title contenders in the conversation, yeah. right? Like those handful. And that could also be, cause this is just feels a more open year, but last year, at least within the ACC, it was, you know, North Carolina at tier one. And then all these other teams who were top 10 teams. Yes but not at that level. And so I think they've all made uh, a step to be that tier one contender. You know, there were a lot of middle of the pack teams last year in the ACC that were still super strong. You look at Georgia tech, they made the round of 16 last year as well. Um, Same thing here. I think Miami making the push into the top 10. It's tough to say if it's better. I feel like there's an ascension towards the top, whether that means teams are moving from like 40 to 30, right. In terms of like a Notre Dame. Um, but the, it's hard not to get better when you have to play week in week out against five, six top 10 teams. Yeah, no. And I mean, again, to talk about the other ACC teams, Duke got back to their winning ways and, you know, again, 
take the doubles point against Georgia and, you know, for Chloe back to, to take away one of Georgia's strengths, even though Georgia's without Liam, obviously, and they're shorthanded compared to what we thought at the start of the season back a three and five victory over Riasco. She had struggled a bit since making that shift to the number one spot. She gets back on track drummy a three set victory over Vietnamova at that number two spot. And then, you know, again, Kelly Chen, Meg Kowalski, both of them in their last NCAA tournament, that match was always going to be three sets. It was always going to be a struggle. I mean, credit to, uh, to Anya Hurdle, who came out great, a one and three victory over Billiken. And I do think long term that number five spot, if you're going to beat Duke, you probably have to beat Billiken. But look, it's always okay. We know two of the three, Chen, Drummy back at our best. We're going to win two of those three matches always. That's the best case scenario for Duke. We need one more. That it's been one of the freshmen in this NCAA tournament and successful ACC run. And in this case, it's Emma Jackson who continues to play better and better at that number three spot. 0-5 win for her over the veteran in Copic. I mean, Duke is thriving right now. Like, they have a pretty clear match calculus. Two of the veterans in Chen, Beck, Drummy, take doubles, find one more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought Georgia put up a really good fight in that match. Yeah. Um, and, and Duke was able to, to weather that storm. Um, but I overall, mean, five first sets in sing- oh, excuse me, four first sets and singles is what they needed. Yep. Yeah. And, and I do think you're right. I think, look, that's tough top two, right? Back and drummy against anybody. Chen at four. You know, if we see Kelly Chen in May, that's a tough out for anybody. I mean, she'll go to the hospital before she'll lose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Duke is playing well. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they match up with NC State. Um, but overall, I thought um, it, tough to know what kind of like what the um, what the obituary is on Georgia, right? I mean, it's, they're losing some veterans. They have a lot of young players. I think you feel really confident with Riasco and Viedmanova. They have a few freshmen coming in who are stellar. Probably don't worry too much about Georgia. Nurendorn played well down the home stretch. There's definitely a foundation there for Georgia. I want to talk about that momentarily. But then lastly, Virginia. I mean, really good doubles point. And it wasn't Navarro and Shake, the number three team in the country. It was Travinsky and Subash, 6-1 at two. And then, you know, again, Munera and Odell, 6-3 at three over a very good Oklahoma State team. And then, you know, again, that we get Navarro Stearns. What a blessing from the gods. Uh, Navarro continues to do her thing one and one over you. Like, are you kidding me? That's a blowout victory. And then look, Oklahoma State's good everywhere. They put up a fight. They extended three matches to three sets and earned a straight set victory at the number four spot from Orpana. Credit to Suanka. You're facing, you know, a veteran on the road in Subash. You extend that match to three sets. Now, credit to the freshman Chervinsky, up 4-1 in the third on Zarolo when the match is finished. But, you know, again, Navarro, Ziadato at six, and Heba Shake at five. Like, depth is not supposed to be where Virginia's getting their victories. And you look for Shake, you look for Ziadato, who at this point of the season have improved. You know, Ziadato, 18 and seven overall, but eight and one in her last 10. And, you know, Shake, seven and two in her last 10, 19 and five overall on the season. They're proving that depth is real. Again, to, to beat this Oklahoma State team 4-1, it was closer than a 4-1 scoreboard would indicate. But to beat them with depth, that is a noticeable uh, sign from this Virginia team heading into the quarterfinals. Yeah, this was definitely one of the closer matches of the weekend. Yeah. It, it also was a mo- blowout weekend. It was. Uh, we haven't said that yet. Again, nothing closer than 4-1 on the women's side. This was probably the closest match. 
Yeah, I have some stats for you on the super regional versus not, but we can save hold those. Up for, hold that for the end of this because I, I do want to hear all of them. Um, and so this, I mean, I thought Oklahoma State looked a little flat in doubles and came out really strong in singles. It moved indoors. I thought that started to favor um, players like Subash and Travinsky. But yeah, look, I mean, Hiba uh, Shake at five, Sarah Ziodato at six is one of the reasons Virginia is here in the quarterfinals yeah. because early in the season, you knew what you were getting from Navarro. You knew Subash at two. May, you were kind of like, okay, Travinsky looks solid here at three. I don't know where we're going to get, you know, the, the remainder of the points, which was kind of the knock on them last season as well. Really strong top three and it fell off a little bit. So overall to show that they had the depth to match Oklahoma state, who's gone in, week in, week out against the depth of a Texas or an Oklahoma was a really promising sign for Virginia. Uvrutsky, Zemaripa, and Sheikh Ziadato is a toss-up at 5-6. Like, it is not a runaway for Texas. And with Navarro Stearns, where that is as well, I mean, oh, man, are those matchups going to be freaking good. I may have mixed some of the matchups up even for 5-6, and six, but the point, you, you get what I'm saying more broadly. Again, the depth, yeah. Virginia's got it uh, to match up with Texas. And they've got that, oh, Man, is that match good? Um, yeah. All right. Beyond that, again, the other NC State, uh, the other ACC team we've yet to talk about, NC State, who just kind of quietly, very quietly, 4-0 victory over Cal. And as they always do, doubles point. Daniel Miller at number one, Negroho Abrams at that number three spot. Now, they were down 5-2 at two. But, I mean, you look for this team. Prisca Negroho continues her exceptional freshman season. 7-6-6-1 victory at that number three spot. Negroho now overall in the year up to, I believe, and I don't want to get this incorrect, 20-6 and six overall, 7-1 and one in her last 10. Then it was the depth. Rejecki. 0-1 at the five spot. Abrams, 2-1 at the six spot. That's probably most notable because, you know, they're 21-6-5 and six and five, uh, at five overall on the season. They've always been good at that spot. But, you know, if Abrams, who's 20-6 overall in dual match play, but down to that number six single spot, if she's going to put together two and one victories, I mean, again, for this team, doubles, Five. First of all, doubles find three more has always been the recipe. But, you know, they take five, uh, four first sets against this Cal team, three straight set victories to put them away 4-0. This was a pretty dominant performance from the Wolfpack at home. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Pepperdine and Texas up top, but a team that has looked very good as well is NC State. I think it's exacerbated a little bit by the fact that they – didn't have as strong of a home stretch of the season, right? When they lost to Virginia, to UNC, to Duke, to Virginia again, it wasn't the NC State that was knocking off these victories week in, week out that we saw earlier in the season. They have looked really strong in this tournament, knocking off Tennessee, who was in form, making it not not competitive at all at five and six against Cal, who's strong everywhere, right? Um, I thought that was a really impressive performance from NC State. Yeah, they've bounced back after their yep. end of April struggles. They, again, to beat Tennessee in the fashion that they did and to blow out Cal 4-0, I mean, to defend their home courts, that's just what you would expect from a team that, again, is coming off of an NCAA semifinal and Rinchelli and Daniel and Rejecki. They were all a part of that group. And Negroho, top 20 junior in the world, she's proven the pedigree is real. She's been as good as any freshman in the country. Yeah, this NC State team is clicking on all cylinders. And I think to your point, last year, NC State getting to the semifinals, that was their ceiling. That was the victory. Certainly, we all thought North Carolina could have won the NCAA title, but this year you could make the case for North Carolina, for Duke, 
for Virginia, for NC State, no one's laughing you out of the room. Four national championship contenders, four quarterfinalists again, the ACC, just on another level. This headline is going to say, what is Auburn's ceiling moving forward? But I want to talk about the eulogies in general moving forward. Let's start with Auburn. Axon's gone. Chen's gone. That said, Ovunk, Arsenault, and sorry, you know, to bring, and I'm missing one. I'm sorry. Flack to bring Flack. back that nucleus. I mean, let's start there. Auburn, where are they? Are they top 10 next season right now for you? Or do you see like a team like Michigan passing? Like, again, it's interesting where this group is. Like, they're, to me, I don't know if they're ready to be firmly in the top 10 uh, threshold. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Right. I mean, they're losing those um, contributors who provide a lot of depth. They are returning their top three, but they don't finish the year in the top 10. So it's tough to say that they'll be in the top 10 firmly. I think what will be key is this is the success of the freshmen in the fall. I think we'll tell us a lot about if they're able to fill in some of those gaps at four five, six. Um, but as I said earlier, I think this Auburn team has the recipe to, to continue to compete at this level within the SEC. Oklahoma State. No more Zarolo. Unsure about LMR. Plus some additions as well. Lisa Marie, uh, Lisa Marie Rio. Oh, I was like, who's LMR? <laughs> um, I guess so that's what she's called. Um, well, I mean, look, Sawanka looks incredible. Um, so you can you can build a team around her. The nucleus of their team, two through five. I'll take them all. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, I have no doubt that this team will continue to take steps forward to be a legit contender in 2024 when they play the NCAAs at Oklahoma state. So that's when they have to be peaking by exactly. it. I think they're on the course is what I would say is like right now is a national championship in 2024 out of the picture. No. Cause if Swan caused the best player on your roster in 2024, you like that as your start. I agree with you. I mean, again, we can rapid fire through. I think we already did the Miami takeaway Cal. That was a disappointing ending certainly, but again, this was the hot and cold season for this group, and I would have loved to see them in the final site. This is a group that I think next year's catching no one by surprise. Yeah, not catching anyone by surprise. I mean, last season was a little hot and cold too, but I attributed that more to starting the, the semester probably a little bit later, given some of the COVID protocols. Came on strong, right? I thought they played UNC tough in the round of 16, and they obviously won the Pac-12 championships, but yeah, I mean, this is still a young roster bringing back the the nucleus. I mean, just like all solo at two, we're shown at three or four, like those are going to be excellent players over the years. Yeah, we talked about Georgia as well. Let's move to another takeaway. No Big Ten, no Pac-12 in the finals site. Uh, and, you know, that's the first time in a generation it feels like that that has happened. And certainly, again, you look uh, for the no Big Ten, no Pac-12, Stanford, the team that makes it furthest. Uh, I mean, we talk, just talked about Cal, but Stanford, the other team that makes it to this round. I mean, if you have a Finova, Ma and, uh, and Shu are back, like, all right, we roll. I feel like it's it's pretty good for the Stanford team outlook moving forward. Obviously, they're going to bring in a nice recruiting class as well. Yep. I think Stanford gets right back on top next. You know, they're right back in the championship mix next season. Yeah, I think so. And they bring back Blake as well, right? Yeah. So those are four players. They bring in Blockina, um, who's yeah. you know, what top three recruit in her class, top five. She's excellent. Um, look, they're going to be very talented again. I think this is a good experience building year for those three freshmen that you talked about. No concerns. A rare experience year, but a good experiencing uh, year, certainly. With that in mind, again, 
Super regional takeaways, Jay, as we look big picture here. And you got the chance to listen to a bunch of those Sweet 16 interviews. We'd love to hear you mix in any thoughts you have from them here as well. But as you look at your super regional, your stats, your takeaways from the home crowds, give me your final thoughts on last weekend's action. Yeah, so you're someone who, you know, you've talked about loving the data, you know, wanting to see the data. You know, we're only two years in. Let's get the data. So I have some data for you. And we're comparing the two years of Super Regionals to 2018 and 2021. So kind of the the year sandwich in between. A few things to note. We see in terms of 4-3 matches, we had one 4-3 match using the Super Regional format. In the Sweet 16, we had four using the final site. 4-0 matches, we see eight when we use the Super Regional format versus six for uh, neutral site. So overall, less three fours, more four zeros, decreases parity writ large. It's a two-year sample size. Let's be clear, but keep going, right? Two-year sample size. Here's yeah. what's not a two-year sample size. There we go. Now <laughs> we're talking. Uh, the number of top eight, a number of top eight seeds who have failed to advance to the uh, quarterfinals has been more than zero every year since 2012 with the exception of our two super regional years where it was completely chalk, all top eight seeds making the quarterfinals. This is just the women's side to clarify. This is just the women's. Okay. Keep going. That's all I have. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have. I'm embarrassed. Texas A&M 4-0 victory over Vanderbilt. By the way, A&M continuing to just rock and roll the way that I'll get to A&M and UNC in a second, I promise. But don't just think we haven't forgotten about them. So is the so trade-off think, worthwhile? Because you so saw think, the Oklahoma yeah. crowd. You So that that's part two of the assessment, right? Yes. And I, I don't want to cloud it with judgment. I'm just curious where you are because I know you value both of these things equally. Yeah. Well, maybe no, not I, equally, but you value both of these things. Totally. And that's, I mean, this is not to say with these stats, we need to be using the final site. It's just to say there are trade-offs, right? And one of the very clear trade-offs exactly. is attendance versus parity. You are going to favor the top eight seeds with this format, but you are going to bring out more fans when you add up all the fans who attend those super regionals than you would at like a single, at a single site. And so I think that's one of the trade-offs. Um, May was, I ask two years in, which way you lean? I, I understand the logistical concern of 32 teams versus 16 teams at the final site. I think that is very valid. I also am, you know, maybe a uh, part of Coach Farood's school of thought is like find a site that can host it, right? I think a few. I think I agree on a few things. I think one. I also lean towards having an Omaha for college tennis. I think Which means that, a final site that we turn to every year, a la softball and baseball. For those unfamiliar with that Omaha vernacular, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. It seems like based on your interviews, coaches were supportive of that idea as well. Um, I'll be honest. I think this super regional format draws out the tournament too long. I'll be, this weekend didn't feel as exciting to me as it has with the Sweet 16 format. I would, if we're going to try and spread it out, I would maybe consider eight regionals, right, with eight teams or something of that nature. But this weekend felt a little bit more like the conference championship weekend where everything is a little disaggregated. You're like following over here scores over here. Didn't feel cohesive. Um, so sure. that, that's where my thoughts are. I can see the argument both ways. 
personally huge fan of the the Sweet 16 at the final site, uh, dual gender. Fair. I enjoyed the Super Regional format. A, I got to be in Ann Arbor. What a special environment. That's as fun of a college tennis match as I've ever been to at the University of Michigan from an environment standpoint. And to present that opportunity, I just think is in is immeasurably valuable to college tennis. That's the sort of match you go to as a six-year-old and you just want to play tennis all the time and you want to keep going back. And again, there were people sitting on the hill at the Varsity Tennis Center, which may not mean anything to people listening to this. That never happens. And Well, they never just, play outside. Oh, <laughs> I ain't it, my friend. Um, but yeah, fair, fair point. But yeah, I mean, again, I, I still think it's too early to say, give me five years of sample size before I make any conclusions about the play. And I don't think five years is too long of a sample oh. size to try and do this for. That said, I mean, look, Texas A&M, 4-0 victory over Vanderbilt. And look, they'd already beaten them throughout the course of the season. They had played not that uh, long before this match at the NCA uh, SEC tournament. But for this Van, uh, for this, excuse me, Texas A&M team, another doubles point for them. They don't drop doubles points ever. They also, for them, the massive victories against Stoyana, Brand, uh, Goldsmith drop a combined six games in their loss. And then Branstein gets the victory at the number one spot, which is where Vanderbilt has been most vulnerable all season long. Now, you know, right now they're playing Morales instead of Townsend at that number six spot. And, you know, Morales drops her first set against Amy Stevens, Kirkina, Pilat in the third set when the match finishes, although Kirkina has been as good as any player in the country at that number five spot. So I actually think that's a pretty good result for Pilet. Um, and I mean, Makarova may not have won, but she's up a set in three, four when the match finishes. This is what A&M has done to teams. Like again, A&M has the highest, A&M's the TCU of the women's draw, if that makes sense, where their floor to me is as high as any team in the country. They don't play a bad match. It just doesn't happen. And they're going to get to three points. You know, Makarova is going to win one. They're probably going to win doubles and they're going to find at least one more singles victory. Now, the question is, what's their ceiling? And all season long, it's been hard to know because they're the only SEC team in the final eight. And, you know, as Florida, Auburn, Vanderbilt may have all gotten there, but they all lost fairly comfortable matches in those scenarios. Uh, you're more than welcome to open up the floor here on the SEC, but uh, final thoughts here on this Texas A&M team heading into the quarters. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a great season for them. Um, you know, they have a pretty clear calculus, uh, you know, doubles and their top four, right? They're going to get three of those top four. You probably feel like in every single match that's been the calculus through the SEC tournament. That's been the calculus in the NCAA tournament. Um so I'm excited to see this Oklahoma match. I'm excited to preview that. Um, and it's a, it's another opportunity for Texas A&M to get their first top 10 win of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And then with that in mind, UNC, of course, 4-0 over Florida. Big for Cam Mora just to get that second set over McCartney-Kessler, even if that match doesn't finish. Good win for Scotty in straight sets. Yarlagata looking the part again, 0-2 at that number six spot. And then... You know, Crawley going to Crawley as she gets the straight set victory at number four. Again, final thoughts on the SEC, final thoughts on this Sweet 16 weekend. Uh, well, I'll just say I have no notes for North Carolina. I thought they looked solid. They've been playing really well. Um, I actually think North Carolina is that like, like has the highest floor of these okay. teams. Um, I think that that gauntlet of three, four, five is going to be really tough for most teams to crack. Um, it's just, a, it's six. just a question. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, six has been cracked a few times, but that's um, a call back to a debate we had early in the season. For those of you who can stick with us that long, um, but yeah, I mean, North Carolina looks great. I mean, look, what what a phenomenal match we're going to get in the quarterfinals. So, um, in terms of the SEC, definitely a step forward for them, right? Last season, I forget the stats, but didn't have a ton of teams make the round of sixteen. They have more teams this year, um, so that's a good step forward for them as they try and kind of, you know get back in the conversation of, of one of the top conferences in the country. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I agree with you. Well, with that said, let's look at the matches we still have left here in the 2022 college tennis season. NCAA quarterfinals beginning Friday. Again, it's three consecutive days for the women this season. We don't have to have that debate again, Jay. I promise you're <laughs> on today's show. But let's start. I'm going to let you pick because honest to God, when I look at these and I think which is the most intriguing with all due respect, it's not NC State Duke. Because I've seen that matchup before, and that's an exceptional matchup. But from an intrigue factor, I mean, man, like Stearns-Navarro means Texas-Virginia has to be in the conversation. I mean, Oklahoma, short Chanta versus a Texas A&M team that doesn't play top 10 matches this year has to be in the conversation. And then the other one's UNC fucking Pepperdine. Like, how is that not the conversation? So I'm going to let you pick. Which of these is your most interesting quarterfinal? That's where we'll start. I mean, it has to be North Carolina Pepperdine, right? Like the narrative of last season, Pepperdine stopping all sorts of North Carolina streaks. This one's going to be spicy, and I'm looking forward to it. So we got to start there. So let's go then with the match calculus, and I will start with the top seed for North Carolina, number one seed in North Carolina, 27 and two overall on the season. I mean, obviously the numbers are going to be ridiculous everywhere, but in particular, no 24 and 0 at that number five single spot. Tarson Tangillic, the freshman, 13 and 0 at the number five position. Now Fiona Crawley did lose a match this season, but she's still 15 and one overall on the year. Has a little chop, just one dual match in her career and they're 25 and two there. And then to your point, 20 and three at the number three spot, Riley Tran, 11 and two at that number three spot, though she was down in their round of 16 match to Alicia Dudney. You also look for this team. They're 53 and 18 in individual double sets on the year. Crawley and Scotty, a top three team in the country of late. It's been Sanford and Tan Gillick who are four and one at that number two spot. And then the two handed combo Tran Mora, two and two at that three spot. What are the most, the four, give me your four most confident points for North Carolina. Let's start there. So I can kind of make this match calculus easy. The winner of the doubles point wins this match. Well, that's no fun. So that's again, (laughs) I will, I'll give you the rest, but I think like, that's the first thing to say, right? We all saw that doubles point in the semifinals. It determined the outcome of that match. So doubles couldn't be more important here. I think both of these teams, if they were playing anyone else, you think, okay, I think they can get four points in singles i think that's gonna be really hard so i'm assuming take the doubles point if i'm north carolina first and foremost i, I got to get crawley at four crawley over patch is a must for them 
The next point I think needs to come from Scotty over Fukuda. This is a rematch over last year's semifinal. Fukuda won that match. I think Scotty needs to hit through Fukuda, take that match. And then I think it needs to come down between either Cam Mora at one over Janice Chen or Yarlagata over Flores. I would probably lean Yarlagata over Flores based on form, right? You know, this is not Vicky Flores. How good is Tangillic Brodus, though? I mean, Tangillic hasn't lost a five singles match. Brodus has lost, you know, they both lost one match as freshmen. Or no, Tangillic's lost two, excuse me, but three combined losses for the two freshmen. Like, oh my God, is that match good? Yeah, I'll be I'll be camped out there for for a lot of it. But yeah, and that's why I, I can't really lean North Carolina there just because of how good Savannah Brodus has looked. Tangillic is excellent. That match has future of college tennis written all over it. Do we agree? Because we're both going to be there after every doubles point. You and I will do however long Twitter allows a video to be messages on Twitter. And that'll be our instant content for all the fans. We'll post that on the Crack Rackets Twitter feed. You agree to do it with me? What videos are we doing? Well, I'll just like hold my phone up and I'll say <laughs> Alex Gruskin, John okay. J. Parsons. Here's our take. Who's got the momentum right now? I think we should be doing stuff like that throughout the course of the tournament. If you're interested, throw it in the YouTube comment feed or tweet at us at Cracked Rackets. Yeah, tell us what you want to see in Champagne. We yeah. have our phones. We'll have our recap podcast as well. Let me tell you. I mean, so you're saying the match calculus for for North Carolina is doubles, two, four, and most likely six. I think that's what you got to go. Is it pretty straightforward? One, three, five. Then that means for the waves. In my and opinion, that, it sounds like this. So one, three, five, that's in your opinion. Yes, I think so. And so with that in mind, then what's the inflection point match? What's the one that's swinging? This is the one where I'm most unsure. And I think the winner of this sing, obviously the doubles point is number one inflection point, but of the six yeah. singles matches, it's three all it's coming down to this. What flight is that? Well, it's probably six. Okay. Right. It's probably Yarlagata Flores. That and feels it's honestly like the, just because of the playing speed of Vicky Flores. But yes, keep going. Yes. But also, like, if Pepperdine takes six and and doubles, and North Carolina needs to find five of the top four of the top five, that's tough. So for me, it's six. I think if Pepperdine takes doubles and six, they're feeling really good. And if North Carolina takes doubles and six, same deal. I feel a little less confident in North Carolina if they take doubles and six, but so for yeah. them, is it doubles and five? Is it's like if Tan Gillig is as good if, as she continues? Exactly. Is that inflection point? Exactly. For them? If Tan Gillig knocks off Brodus, you're feeling real good. All right. I like that. Um, no. Okay. And by the way, we're getting some people. It's Kevin Laracy, Scotty B. One, I'm not even going to try and say his name, but it starts with a one and it ends with an eight, which means he's of age. Um, yeah, uh, we will do those videos then. If you guys are in favor, happy to do those updates for you. You'll find them on Cracked Rackets throughout the course of the tournament. All right, we've talked inflection points. We've talked matchups. Most intriguing match, you're, you said you're camped on five? Yeah, it got to be Tangillic Brothers. <sighs> Man. I mean, I wish it was Zara Crawley because that's my sort of match from like just a physicality standpoint and how the grind of that match would be. I mean, Fakuda, Scotty, two two emotional leaders of their teams this season. Ugh. Give me your prediction. I'm abs- I'm abstaining, as listeners know, as I have to be on the call here. 
So you're not on the call for this. So I don't know yeah, why no, you I'm abstaining <laughs> from the round though, because I don't want anyone thinking I'm playing fade. They'll be like, oh, because I made you look bad in the quarterfinals. I'm like, no, I just stopped making picks. <laughs> okay. Just noting that if the ESPN commentators can go on the record, I think we could go on the record a few times. Kirk Herb Street doesn't because he's on the call for the game. Okay, that's a football thing. We're talking tennis. Football um, standards here. Football yeah. standards. It's college. Got it. Okay, so I... Yeah, if it I, was pros, let me be clear. If it was pros, I would not care. It's because I actually like these college teams and players. <laughs> and so I'm like, like, how am I going to pick someone in this match? I've known Pete Billingham since I was 17 years old, and I got invited to the North Carolina banquet, albeit accidentally. <laughs> but, like, I can't make a pick here, so I'll let you. It's the poison pill you got to take. Ruskin. I hate this match so much. <laughs> Um, I'm going Pepperdine 4-2. Um, wow. I, now yeah. we're talking, Jay. Hello. Uh, I Look, this match is going to be extremely close. And I do think the winner of the doubles point wins this match. I got to go with Pepperdine. They have the belief that they can beat this North Carolina team it, at this stage. They did it last year. They have more momentum on their side over the last few weeks. And I think they get doubles 1-3-5. and five. Yeah. All right. That's a prediction for all of you listeners. Jay's going Pepperdine 4-2. Obviously firing in the chat right now. Scotty B says North Carolina 4-3. Would love to hear anyone who's watching live what you guys think for your predictions as well. And we'll send out the polls beforehand as well to see what the public is feeling. And you Um, can read more of the explanations for that on the Crack Rockets website. And that's why he's your co-favorite writer, folks. All right, with that in mind, that match, 4 p.m. Eastern time, Friday, May 20th. What I learned from the men's preview is that it's the top half of the draw playing first and the bottom half playing second. They're not playing left and right sides at the same time. We're not doing that, Jay. We're holding our tongue. We're holding our tongue because uh, we just don't, you know, again, we've been talking long enough here. At but I, I, sorry, I think you're wrong, though. Oh, did they do it differently on the women's side? That was just for the men's? Yeah. So oh, the men are fantastic doing fantastic news. That's fantastic. Wait, wait, but the men are doing like one from the top half and one from the bottom half. Yeah, are right? at different hours. Yeah, which is the dumbest thing in the world because why wouldn't you just have the two quarterfinalists play at the same time? It's relatively equal amounts of rest. See, you you don't need, you can hold your tongue. I got you. I was gonna um, say no. you said it, not me. Yeah. Uh, no. But the women are different. The women are doing which like, makes sense because they have to play three days in a row. So the women, oh, are the women one, two, three, four? No, I wish. The women no, are yeah, like yeah, it's four, both top it's, half, both bottom half. Wait, what? Walk me through that again. Both top, you mean both left, so like, both right? Like sure. the, like North Carolina and Pepperdine play at the play same at the time same as same Texas th- and Virginia. Exactly. Leave Which all is, of that in, Westoff. Again, this is, you got to do it for the show. That is how you should do it. And that makes the most sense, particularly because all of these teams have to play the next day. I know what you're saying. That's not how you should do it. But I'm saying in this format, that's how you have In to this do format, it. you should do that. I don't know why we're doing men and women different, but yeah. Well, anyways. Was, yeah. I mean, Diane, as we say in my culture. All right. Let's move then to the other 4 p.m. Eastern time match. Friday, May 20th. Of course, that match is your other left side of the draw. Texas taking on Virginia. Hmm. This is spicy. Texas 23 and four overall in the year, Virginia 23 and five. These two teams did not play during the course of the regular season. Let's start with the higher seeded Texas team, who, of course, again, has not lost since their regular season loss to Oklahoma. They, you know, just have been exceptional everywhere, but it starts with the number one player. Uh, their number one singles player, Peyton Stearns, 22 and one overall in the year. She's won 14 in a row. 
I mean, obviously, the match calculus starts with Stearns. As I said, Texas feels like they're going into every match up 1-0. Now, obviously, it's different when you're facing Emma Navarro and Virginia. So with that in mind, what's your Texas match calculus? Does it include Stearns? I'll put it this way. I think Texas doesn't need Stearns as badly as Virginia needs Navarro. And I don't think Texas needs Stearns to win this match. I think, again... I think the you'll I think they'll need to take doubles. So I'll say they need to take doubles. Um, I think three and four are very strong points for Texas against this Virginia squad. So that'd be three Zainalova, four Shabathapan, and then for me it comes down to a split of five or six. I think this is a little bit of the more unknown territory with Zamarip at five, of Rutsky at six, both freshmen. Um, I think if Texas splits. The, those bottom two, they win this match. So the big thing for this match, if you talk about the doubles point, Texas 43 and 20 overall in doubles on the year. That's a 683 win percentage. Virginia's 52 and 22, 703. And again, that's in the ACC, which mm-hmm. all due respect to the Big 12, who had plenty of strength this year. We just waxed poetically at the start of the show about how great the ACC was. And, you know, again, Stearns at that number one double spot has been playing really well down the home stretch with Zemaripa. They're 10 and two overall, five and two at that one spot. But, I'll take Navarro and and shake at that number one spot who are 11 and five overall number four in the country. But again, ACC schedule, both teams are really good at the number two spot, you know, Texas 18 and three Virginia 20 and five. That's just a really fun battle at two. And then both teams are shaky at three. And so it's toss ups in all three doubles flights. Like there is no definitive favorite in my opinion. And honestly, this matchup may straight up just come down to who plays better on a given day. Is it Navarro? Is it Stearns? The one that does, if you can sweep both of those spots, one doubles, one singles for either team, you're probably winning this match. Like, honest to God, because if you're Virginia, who's taken doubles against some very good teams throughout the course of this season, you take doubles, you take Navarro, you feel like you can find two of the other five. Yeah, I mean, just to switch gears on the Virginia side, I think it's a must. I think they have to win doubles. They have to win, uh, you know, Navarro over Stearns. They've never won when Emma Navarro has lost. Yeah. So that's a must. Which, by but, the way, has only happened twice. But still, um, fun stat for you, speaking of twice, um, Texas is 0-2 all-time against Virginia. Virginia is 0-2 in the NCAA quarterfinals. One of those records changes on Friday. See, this is why we love you, Jay. And I, <laughs> by the way, you can read more stats like that on our Crack Rackets website as Jay previewed all of these quarterfinals. Go on, my friend. So, but look, I think that, so I think those are must for Virginia. Um, and I think you're right. I think they do feel good about finding, th- you know, two more from two through six. But again, if it, the Texas calculus for me does include doubles, it includes three, it includes four, and it includes a split at five or six. Obviously, yeah, they can win at one and two as well. But if we're talking like four most likely points, I just think you can't you can't bank on on Peyton Stearns winning this match. All right. With that in mind, then give me the match calculus in the end you see unfolding. What's your prediction for this one? Yeah, I think this is a four three match. I think Texas takes it four three. Um, I will say, like, if there's any justice in the world, this match should come down to Emma Navarro versus Peyton Stearns, your number one and number two players in the country who are uh, at a level above um, the rest of the field. But I got to lean Texas, given their experience at this stage, that core of Stearns, Collins, Shabathapan, 
I do think they take doubles three, four, and then split five or six. I think, I just think we're going to see splits everywhere. One, two, three, four, five, six. I know this is so stupid. I don't think either team's capable of winning four singles matches. And so I do think it's going to come down to the doubles point. I know how simple that may be. Scotty B's taken Virginia four, three QH is taken Texas four, one, I'm not making picks. Um, so that's what we call tease in our business. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think more than anything, and you said it at the start, pick four, three, right? Like that's what you're picking in this match, that this will absolutely be a battle. Speaking of battles, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. The Sooners 30 and two overall in the year. Their only loss is up, you know, doubles and four first sets against North Carolina in the national indoors and against a Texas team who they had already beaten two times during the course of the season. Meanwhile, for AM, they haven't lost since the round of 16 at the national indoors, lost a 4-3 match to Cal, which they will argue to the end of time. They probably should have and arguably maybe did win um, in their minds. And they haven't lost since. Run through the SEC undefeated. Get Vanderbilt in the Sweet 16, 4-0 them, routine fashion, and to beat a team three times in one year, extremely difficult to do. When you the third one's 4-0, you just know they're better than you. Um, I mean, look, this AM team has no vulnerabilities from a statistical standpoint. Yeah, five singles, they're 19 and eight, six singles, they're 20 and eight, but those aren't vulnerabilities. This team hasn't dropped the doubles point. 31 and 0 at the two spot, 29 and 2 at three, 27 and 3 at four. And of course, we know Carson Bramstein, 17 and 7 at the number one spot. Her power tennis capable of hitting through anyone on any given day. I mean, look. Oklahoma's played four, three matches. They've won their four, three matches. We know what we're getting a battle up and down the lineup everywhere battle in doubles as well. I don't even know if there is a match calculus, Jay. I don't have a question for you here or a direction. Take this match anywhere you want to go. What are you looking forward to the most? Well, I think first and foremost, I'm just curious to see the energy from Texas A&M. I think this is a team that is extremely hungry to be here and prove that they belong on this national stage And I'm expecting a dominant doubles performance. I'm expecting them to come out and take a very quick doubles point against Oklahoma, who has been solid throughout the year in doubles. I think without Shanta, it hurts, Um, you know, losing that doubles point to Arizona State. I think this is one of the matches where Oklahoma's calculus probably doesn't include doubles. And I think that's okay because I think Oklahoma is an overwhelming favorite at five and six. You talk about no vulnerabilities on this Texas A&M team. I do not think that is the case. They have been hard pressed to find victories from five and six in the postseason, And I think those are two spots with Pisareva and Staker that Oklahoma feels excellent about saying those are two points for Oklahoma. I think then becomes the challenging part, right? Where does Texas A&M find their three of four single spots from one through four? I think you probably lean Makarova at two for Texas A&M. And I think this comes down and I think you probably lean Goldsmith over Guzman. Um, Guzman can beat Goldsmith, but Goldsmith hasn't Just lost. Since. Toughness. Yeah. She uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. match like experience to this point, just through the season. Like she's just played exactly. Goldsmith's played so many matches this year. And yeah. To your and point, she hasn't lost in 25 and two overall yeah. 21 and two at that number four spot. Yeah. And both of those losses were indoors, I believe. Yeah. The lefty's um, just been a rock. Yeah, exactly. So you're a three, two, and then you go to sleep beat Brandstein. And what does Ivana Corley do at number three? 
I just can't bet against this Oklahoma team. I've seen them find ways to win at all sorts of positions the entire year. You know, I think it's a four, three match. I think probably comes down to Sleeth and Brandstein at number one. Yeah. And look, Brandstein Sleeth, that's a fun contrast of style. Cause Huge. obviously yeah. Sleeth's going to grind yep. Brandstein going to have opportunities to play plus one tennis, be aggressive with her forehand. God was that video from the Texas A&M social crew of the Titanic music with her celebrating the match point. That is literally up my alley. I almost think that was for me. And so always appreciate the directed content for a mind of the generation. Um, I mean, yeah, 4-3 would be the pick again. I said it in Pepperdine, UNC. I'd say it here. I said it in our last match as well. All three of these matches, beyond any four of them, beyond anything else, I'd pick 4-3. Thankfully, I don't have to make a pick. So who are you going with? Sleeth, Brandstein in the end. That's what it sounds like that's your inflection point. Well, the inflection point really is Ivana Corley, right? Okay. And she's playing freshman Stoyana. Yeah. Based on what I saw, if she continues that level of play, Given this stage, I think she takes that match ultimately. And just a reminder, Champagne was extraordinarily kind to the AM Aggies in 2013 as they made the final of the women's event. It absolutely was. Um, I just have to go with the Sooners. It's hard to bet against them, seeing what we've seen all season. Um, look, Texas AM could come out there and win 4 0 <laughs> and prove that they are truly the best team in the country. But with what I've seen so far, this Oklahoma team just feels too resilient. It sounds really stupid. I do feel like Texas is the team more likely to win 4-0 than Oklahoma to beat Texas A&M 4-0, like in the weirdest scenario, if that makes sense at all. Like there's a world where maybe Texas A&M really is just ridiculously good. And like, Totally, yeah, yeah they, totally, and I totally can see that. But that's no one 4-0 Oklahoma, 4-0 Oklahoma. That's why that's not happening. And yeah, I, more than anything else, I'm picking 4-3. Thankfully, I don't have to pick a team actually to win. All right. Last matchup is a rematch of the ACC regular season, a matchup that was won by the Duke women. Duke women ultimately a 4-3 victory over NC State earlier in the season in Raleigh. NC State, as they so frequently do, won the doubles point in that match. But ultimately, it was Drummy, it was Beck, it was Billiken, and it was Coleman earning the four singles victories that the team needed. Duke, in particular, two seven six in the third victories at the two and five spots to clinch this match. They skated by, by the skin of their teeth. Again, talk about a toss-up. You want to say pick 4-3 more than anything else? Literally came down to 2-7-6 in the third matchups in a 4-3 decision for the Blue Devils. This NC State team has been to the, they went to the NCAA semifinals last year. Of course, this Ducor, Drummy, Beck, Billiken, Chen, they've been around the block as well. I mean, again, Jay. Uh, where do we even start here? Like yeah, I said it last time for Duke, it was one, two, four, and five. Is the recipe the same? Like, what do you look at for the Blue Devils here? Yeah, so you brought it up, right? The, when they played, that match could not have been closer, right? Four three-set matches, two of them, seven, six, and a third. The clincher was six, four in the third. Ridiculously close. Of note, Duke was without Emma Jackson uh, at number three. So that changes things. When I look at this, I think NC State takes doubles, right? They're up there with Texas A&M with one of the best doubles point in the country, have number one team in the country. They've only dropped three doubles points. Um, so I do think they take doubles. I think Duke's path includes having to take four singles. I think if I'm Duke, it's pretty straightforward. I need one with Chloe Beck over Jada Daniel. I need Georgia Drummy at number two over um, 
Ranchali, and then I need Kelly Chen at four over Nell Miller. In terms of where you find your fourth, if you're Duke, it could come anywhere, right? From those, uh, from any, oh, you actually don't, no, you need a fourth. It could come anywhere. Um, I like NC State in this matchup, though. I have liked what I've seen from, NC, from the tournament so far. I think they take dubs, and I think they get Negroho at three over Emma Jackson. And I think they get five and six over Billiken and Ellie Coleman. I thought Rejecki and Abrams have looked super solid. I don't know if this is going to be a close 4-3 match. I think NC State has the calculus to, to knock this one out. Interesting. I mean, again, for this Duke or for the matchups, NC State 17 and 11 at one. Uh, you look for this Duke team 14 and nine at that number one spot feels like a toss up. You know, again, number two uh, for NC State, they're 21 and seven overall. They're now Duke 23 and 0 at the number two single spot. You feel like that's one they got to have. Uh, yeah. certainly in the match calculus, It'll be a, a big hitting match between drummy and Vinchali. Exactly. Everywhere else though, you know, again, strength for strength or weakness versus weakness. Like yep, NC exactly. 19 and seven at four Duke 15 and five at four Duke 11 and 10 at three NC state nine, 17 and six with Prisca Negroho at yep. three splits across the board. Like it really does feel like, again, is Duke going to be able to take two, seven, six in the third matches as they needed to do on the road at NC state again, that's a tough thing to ask at the same time, this Duke team is even better now and even more confident now than they were uh, in taking that four, three win at NC state at the end of the regular season. (sighs) This match is going to be so good. They're all going to be so good with that in mind. You again, give me your prediction who you rolling with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny you mentioned, I mean, this first match we talked about when they played super close, that was the season inflection point for Duke, right? Yeah. They had just come the off. Turning point, for Exactly. Sure. They had come off that Florida swing, um, and they got this huge win. I'm leaning NC State. I am going to go 4-3. I think the calculus for NC State is doubles. Priska Negroho at three over Emma Jackson, and then five and six, Rejecki okay. and Abrams. I'll order your your predictions in order of confidence, because there's absolutely a world where you go four and oh, there's absolutely a world where you go oh and four. So give me in terms of the picks you made order of mm-hmm. confidence from one to four, most to least. I would go doubles. Number one. No, no, um, no. sorry. Sorry. Of your four picks in terms of the four quarterfinals, uh, because I do feel like, again, uh, you could be right on all of your quarterfinal picks. I feel like this is one of those years actually where you could be wrong about all of them as well. And usually there's like one quarterfinal where you feel like, okay, like, yeah. you know, I know Duke pushed UNC last year, but you just felt like that UNC had owned that team had owned Duke and like they yeah. were going to get through for sure. Or how about Texas, that Texas, Florida FSU. State. Yeah. You're just like, Texas is getting in for sure. I don't think you can say that about this year's four matchups. And so with that in mind, rank me confidence order of your picks, most to least confident. Of who <laughs> This is a really tough question. See, that's the laugh, by the way, I expected when I asked the question. And I was a little offended. Now I just understand you didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's um, me, by the way. That's a word salad. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's uh, really hard. Oh, my gosh. Uh, gosh, give me Oklahoma yeah. over A&M. Wow. Most confident. <laughs> Uh, Texas over Texas over Virginia. Okay. 
NC State over Duke and then Pepperdine over North Carolina. That's just amazing. That's just, again, that speaks to the quality of these NCAA quarterfinals. Again, yeah, four o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. It's truly all within like 55, 45, right? Yeah. There's no match that is like outside of those odds. No, this is, again, as good as it gets. And with yep. that in mind, action again, 4 p.m. Eastern time, Tennis One app on Friday. It's going to be uh, UNC Pepperdine, Texas versus Virginia to start. Then 8 p.m. Eastern time, NC State, Duke. Oklahoma taking on Texas A&M. Of course, I am looking forward to being on the broadcast coverage for the semifinals onward for the team event, even more for the individuals, all that action again on the tennis one app. With that said, we're less than what? 72 hours away from the start of the men's less than 48 hours from the start of the men's event, 72 hours for the women's event with that in mind, Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap our final pre NCAA tournament decide uh, NCAA tournament involved deciding point of the season. Just one bone to pick okay. from the Cracked Interviews podcast. Talk a lot about those 9 a.m. matches or those 9 p.m. matches at the round of 16, parents and you. And you. Come on. Did Come I on. see that in at least one of them? I had I, to have thrown you in there in at least one of them. I didn't hear it, but I think you need a few more NCAA trips in your cap before ah. you really say that you were out there. And plus, you weren't there before we moved to the no-ad six game set. I mean, Bobby Knight and I were out there at two, 3 a.m. So you got a little ways to go, Ruskin. Can I give but- a counterpoint? I was 11 when you guys were out there. So like, you know, 20, you see what I did there? Just you guys should see Jay's face. I mean, some of you are watching live right now, but to the podcast listeners, that was just a little whoops dig uh for you there but again we're gonna have podcasts on site we'll talk hopefully with coaches during the uh, tournament we'll obviously have the chance to speak with jay hopefully chris colette lewis the entire cast of characters as we all descend upon champagne for the final weeks of the 2022 college tennis season of course a massive shout out to all of you who've stuck with us throughout the course of this season. It's been a year of first for us here at Crack Rackets, and it's only going to get better from our college tennis content perspective moving forward. So thank you to all of you for sticking with us. Thank you to our friends at Swing Vision and Turner. Learn more about the Swing Vision app by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. Contact our friends at Turner by emailing sales at uniquesports.com today. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. We started our first show at seven, three hours, 15 minutes later. We have officially previewed both men's and women's and NCAA quarterfinal draws with all of that said final word goes to you Jay you excited for champagne I'm looking forward to it you know this is my 12th NCAA I think um so yeah I'm looking forward to it I always look forward to it I say this is my European vacation this is my thing that I look forward to all season long um so I I I can't wait people are in champagne looking forward to meet you talk with people um we're all we're all amongst our people here, so I'm looking forward to it. So next year's your 13th, your NCAA mitzvah. Interesting. We'll have to do something fun for that uh, in 2023, and we'll have time to plan. But for now, four, be fantastic. John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision and Turner. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all throughout the course of the week. Thanks, everyone.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 